I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. That is me. Back and with me as always, yet again, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on, man? We missed you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for saying so. I missed you as well. I missed the people. Didn't miss losing... On a Sunday. Yeah, that was a tough one, man. Uh, Brandon, who, if anyone hasn't listened to this podcast before, hasn't downloaded, subscribed, rated, and reviewed, or checked us out on YouTube at the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Michael Jr. playlist and seen Brandon's purple and black tiles in his background, uh, Brandon flying the Baltimore Ravens flag proudly. You did in your split fandom. We got a Notre Dame win this weekend. Notre Dame beat Cal. Baltimore had to take the L in order to make that happen and balance the universe. So everything comes with a price, Brandon. That's all I can say. I'm ready, though. Let's go. I'm, I, oh, and I, I will say, for everyone that missed me last week, everything's okay. Everything's fine. I didn't take a vacation. My youngest son was in the hospital, RSV. Very serious for these youngsters. But everything is good now. Slept in the hospital bed. Get, got the whole perspective. Got things in order. Realized what's important in life. All the other good stuff that comes with all these serious life-threatening things. So, you know. Uh, cup. My cup is half full. Did you sleep in a hospital bed or on a hospital couch? So now they make those things turn into little cots that I got a chance to uh, wear out with my weight. And they're probably going to need to get a new couch in there because, you know, you ever slept in a, a RV? Those little beds oh, yeah. that the table turns into the bottom of the bed? Bro, I feel like those. anything that turns into a bed... For someone our size sleeping in it, there's always a certain amount of guilt after. Because you can look and know right away that this thing doesn't look the way it did when I found it. 
and I hate having to walk away from it, knowing, like you said, someone's going to find this after and wonder what the fuck happened here. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. That's why I always say Murphy bed's the way to go. The one that comes down from the wall, like, as long as it's still a bed somewhere, not folded up, acting as a couch or a, a cushion or whatever the hell is, a chair, like, give me one that's just hidden in the wall. I didn't think about that. A Murphy bed retains its structural integrity because it goes straight up into the wall. You're right. All this other folding and orienting that these beds have to do in order to... They're essentially transformers, bedbots in disguise. Yes, They have exactly. to do all this other work, and so they're not going to be as good a bed, just like they're a slashy. You can't expect them to be great at both. They're usually great couches, but they're not going to be great beds in the same time. It's just too much. We're about to talk our way into a mattress subscription. So let's just let's yeah. just move on. Give people a little taste. Yeah. You know what I mean? Speaking of, speaking of taste, by the way, I got to head to the Pacific Northwest this weekend. I was on the call for uh, Washington and Michigan State. Big time upset win for the Huge. Washington Huskies. Let me tell you what. Have not spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest. Lovely. Bellevue in Seattle, Washington. Lovely. Beautiful. Brandon, it was perfect. And you've heard me rant about what is and isn't football weather. It was yes. about 68 degrees with a breeze coming off the water at kickoff mm. for a 4.30 Pacific, 7.30 Eastern kick. I was in heaven. I was down on the field soaking that up. I had fed myself to the brim. I had gone over to the Pike Marketplace. I had eat, uh, eaten over there. I had Molly nice. Moon's ice cream in downtown Seattle. I got to go see the original Starbucks, which there I thought go. was going to be less impressive than it was. It was... It was a beanery. It was the Starbucks beanery and tasting room. And I walked inside and it was Wonka's Chocolate Factory for Starbucks aficionados. It was wild, but top to bottom, fantastic weekend, lovely people. And that stadium, they call it the greatest setting, lives up to the hype. It is a beautiful view as you look out at all the sailgaters getting ready to get drunk on boats and watch a football game. Big fan of the Pacific Northwest. Congrats to Washington. Awesome hosts up there. Would gladly go back in a heartbeat. Top pot, or, uh, top pot donuts, which I completely forgot about, Brandon. So we get donuts, our crew, for every game that we go to. We bring them up in the booth and we do our sweet player of the game. If you've missed it, College Football Saturday Night with Learfield Audio, myself and Sloan Martin on the call each and every Saturday. We will be in Norman, Oklahoma this upcoming weekend for their game against Kansas State. But... um. We go and get donuts at some spot around there that we get tipped off to go to. And we went to Top Pot Donuts. And I went inside and started looking around. And I was like, man, these are great. And I looked and they had maple bars in there. And I was psyched. You get a good maple bar somewhere you can't turn away. And it made right. me remember one particular incident involving our teammate Golden Tate. Who, when he was a member of the Seahawks, yes. had that incident where after hours... He was, you know, you can call it breaking in. He was trying to get into a Top Pot Donuts. And they had his jersey framed in the Top Pot no. Donuts in Bellevue, Washington. I shit you no not. No way. Yes. That's a legacy. Don't take leaving his mark on the city. Good for him. I was, I was floored. I was wholly unexpecting of it. But... I was very pleasantly surprised. So congratulations to Golden to leaving your mark behind there. Clearly the people at Top Pot love and appreciated his passion for donuts. I can understand why those maple bars were in such high demand. I was devouring them on air late in the game. Totally get it. Which jersey? Uh, I believe it was a Seahawks jersey. 
Yeah. I, I yeah. can't I barely can envision it at this point, but he was there. He was there, it was real, and it was spectacular. So that was a ton of fun. Obviously, uh, as always, we got a great show for you guys. Monday's gonna be more NFL heavy. Tomorrow we'll get into plenty more of what we saw this college football weekend. A little bit fewer in the way of upsets, but a couple of important games in there. A lot of chalk up in the top portion of college football. And I think now we're starting to get into conference play going on in college football. More questions that will get answered about that group of teams around Michigan, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Clemson, USC, all the like in there that's sort of bottlenecked outside of the upper crust of the sport. But Brandon... The NFL just gave us too much uh, to avoid on this Monday morning. And for anyone that missed it, there was a little bit of everything on Sunday. But I think the biggest story of the day had to be comeback wins for this Sunday. Now, we had three games that qualified in the comeback win category. The Arizona Cardinals came back over the Las Vegas Raiders after falling behind 20 to nothing during this game. The Raiders were up 23 to 7 with less than 9 minutes left in regulation before Kyler Murray went nuts. So we've got that game. We've got Tua Tungavailoa and the Dolphins unfortunately beating your uh your Lamar Jackson led Baltimore Ravens. The Dolphins trailed by 21 points entering the fourth quarter. Tua Tungavailoa threw four of his six touchdowns in the fourth quarter. According to ESPN Stats and Info, teams that led by 21 or more in the fourth quarter had won 711 consecutive games. The Cardinals and the Dolphins each faced 20-point deficits at halftime. It's the first time in NFL history multiple teams have overcome a 20-point deficit at halftime on the same day, according to Elias Sports Bureau. So while it's not an ESPN stat, Brandon, that is your ESPN baseball stat right there. Yeah, but also, fuck all of them other games. Baltimore, listen, we need to do better for Lamar Jackson. I want Lamar Jackson to be happy. I hope we don't give him a long-term contract and he goes somewhere and gets paid and gets protected and they can win some fucking games. Honestly, because our defense is doing him a disservice. His time spent in the NFL right now. That was the story of the end of that game, which we'll get to. But just to complete the comeback theme of this one, Joe Sorry, Flacco's Jets come back to okay. beat the Cleveland Browns. They trailed uh, in this game 30-17 to with two minutes left to play before Joe, Blacko le- Joe Flacco, Joe Blacco, Jesus Christ, oh, Joe Flacco led the, led the Jets. On two different touchdown drives, including the game-winning strike to Garrett Wilson with 22 seconds left, according to ESPN Stats and Info, teams that were up 13 points with less than two minutes left had won 2,229 consecutive games. So, Brandon, we saw some historic levels of bullshit as far as the comeback victories in the NFL this weekend. I think the question here is, of the teams that we saw win, so the Arizona Cardinals, the Miami Dolphins, and the New York Jets, who are we actually buying? Who was water finding their level and who was a rising tide in a moment that might not last? Because I look at the three of these and say, the Dolphins would be the only one I'm comfortable hanging my hat on. Number one, because like you said, they beat a good team. Lamar Jackson was having one of those days. 21 of 29 for 318, three touchdowns and no picks including some stellar work on the ground as well. It was the kind of game where I went and retweeted the I need money uh, picture that Lamar Jackson put up during the summer about getting paid because this seemed like one of those days where 
All I thought of was Lamar Jackson walking into the Ravens front office, kicking his feet up on the desk and saying, you're going to pay me exactly what I want. Because again, they're up 21 points going into the fourth quarter. They've been dominating the entire day. And so it was a good Ravens day. It just showed you what was there with the Miami Dolphins, Brandon. And what was there was Tyreek Hill. Because you're right, back-end blowouts on the Ravens' defense were inexcusable here. Wink Martindale is no more there, but it still seemed like a unit that was trying to harass the quarterback and putting their secondary in weird spots communication-wise. That left Tyreek bleeping Hill open on the back end of that. Like, the one guy that you can't have making it to the back end of that defense consistently ended up being that dude. But it just highlighted how much speed this Dolphins crew has on that offense now. Because we've talked about Tyreek, we've talked about Jalen Waddell, Raheem Mostert in that backfield. You had Tyreek Hill, 11 catches for 190. Jalen Waddell, 11 catches for 171 in this game. And it was home run balls for all the wailing and gnashing of teeth about Tua Tungavailoa and arm strength and all that stuff, Brandon. The two and on folks have a lot to talk about in the next meeting because that looks like a quarterback that is comfortable in his surroundings finally. This is what pained me the worst about the whole thing, Mike, was it was that we lost via two and nine deep balls. Like the same balls that we were laughing about during the preseason, before preseason even started, Mike, we were laughing about these underthrown balls from Tua that Tariq Hill had to come back to get. Well, he came back and got two of them, bitches. Two of them things, and they went for touchdowns. And then Jalen Waddle himself. Mike, you know the defense did a terrible job when going into the Sunday night football game, the top two receivers in fantasy football both played for the Miami Dolphins. It was wild. And Brandon, again, the reason I'm so, I think, emboldened by what we saw from the Dolphins and what they were able the to Ravens do. Because the Ravens look good. They did. Rashad Bateman, over 100 yards in that game. We had asked about receivers. Rashad Bateman made a big play in this game, was able to streak away. We saw Devin Duvernay do that last week for the Ravens. Mark Andrews and that connection. Isaiah Likely showing up in the stat sheet. You looked all over that team, and they're still down Ronnie Stanley at left tackle. Like, they're on their backup's backup at left tackle right now, and this group was still able to go out and move people. And so I am not, by any means, ditching the Ravens at this point. I still think that's a Ravens team that, based on what we've seen from the rest of the division, absolutely wins the AFC North. But yeah. I just think we saw, I mean, the collective AFC East take the AFC North out behind the woodshed this weekend. It was top to bottom, three for three of AFC uh, AFC East teams going and beating AFC North teams. It was a big statement for a division that we had talked about as one of the best in football, potentially going into the season of the AFC North, that definitely showed some signs of regression because the other one we mentioned in this was the um, Cleveland Browns losing to the Jets. And this one to me, Brandon, as as much as I still disagree with what they did decision-making-wise, I cannot help that my the first place my brain went to Watching Jacoby Brissett struggle decision-making-wise down the backstretch of this game. Saw the ball get mismanaged and turnovers undermine them. In a game where Nick Chubb became the first player this season to score three touchdowns in a game. Two weeks into the season, Nick Chubb was that dude. Started to take over in this game. And you somehow let Joe Flacco drop bombs on you down the stretch of this game to bring it back in. I looked and said oh yeah, no wonder this team was desperate enough to do what they did with Deshaun Watson. Because what they've assembled with the rest of this roster still only goes so far when you've got Jacoby Brissett, who is a competent starter 
and a definite high, one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league because he can get you through a stretch of games, but over the long course, and this is not to take away from the Jets, but I don't think any of us look and say Joe Flacco's Jets are going to be the difference maker in the way that this goes. Garrett Wilson had the game-tying score before the game-winning extra point kick. He looked very good. Their rookies have been awesome. I think Sauce Gardner got a little bit dinged up in this game, so you hope that's not anything serious in the long term. They've invested in the right spots. You had fiery Rob Sala last week coming out talking about saving receipts. So he gets to gloat after this one. But this, to me, was much more about why we always harp on the importance of a quarterback in this league because we have sung the praises of that Browns roster up and down and a Jets team that was a colossal disappointment last week against the Ravens now went out against this Browns team that is working with a you know replace a just above replacement level quarterback and got themselves beat in the final minutes because they couldn't close the deal that way I mean that's exactly what the Jets were working with that's exactly what Robert Sala was working with and that's why I like this, because I think it proves to me that all that trash that Robert Sala was talking about after week one, like we, it showed up in week two, right? It was like, oh, we didn't know the Jets were a fighting football team. We know they were flirting with it last season at the end of last season, but we didn't know they were actually good enough to to gut it out and, and win a game. Obviously, they're against Jacoby Brissett, but... I don't know, Mike. I like I like what I saw from the Jets today. Like it's one of those things where like now I'm betting on them to cover moving forward because I I don't see them embarrassing themselves as much as they have in the past. Yeah, that I think is definitely going to be something to keep in mind is for teams like the Jets and I think teams like the Falcons also new regimes. Both the coaches yes. that kind of got fiery this last Ooh. week because. There were a bunch of teams that aren't going to be very sexy to talk about right now because I think we got what we expected out of them. The Rams came back out and controlled the majority of that game with the Falcons, looked more like the team that we expected in the defending Super Bowl champs. The Green Bay Packers came out in Sunday Night Football and ran roughshod over the Chicago Bears for the majority of that game. Now that the track was dry, some of the warts for Chicago started to show up a little more. Green Bay was able to run the ball really well. All of that started to show up, and that was more of the team that I expected. Elton Jenkins back in the lineup for them, who is outside of David Bakhtiari, the second most important O-lineman in that group. All of that stuff was stuff that made sense to me over the course of this weekend, but teams like the Jets and the Falcons, who are still in the programming building, program building phase of things, they got encouraging signs that they're going to be tougher outs. It's kind of where the Detroit Lions were there last year for most of the season. I got a chance to talk with Kevin Clark from The Ringer over on his podcast, Slow News Day, and I want to bring a point that I made there over here because it's a reminder for everyone to trust their gut in the way that we go Mm -hmm. about some of this and the way that we judge it. But, Brandon, those were the wild comebacks that we saw from the weekend. So, again, of the teams, because the Arizona Cardinals in this, and that was the last one that we had kind of got to, buying the Dolphins coming off of this, really not – I'm expecting the Jets to amount to anything again. And the AFC, as competitive as that conference is, it's going to be the Bills and the... I think I can pretty comfortably say Bills and Dolphins are going to be the AFC East representatives in the playoffs. The Dolphins look like a playoff team at this point. The Bills are going to be the best team in football, I think, the majority of this year, barring injury. And there's not going to be three teams coming from that division. So the Jets, they're about improving this year. They don't have their quarterback whenever Zach, I forget when Zach Wilson is slated to get back, but that is going to be when you start really judging what this program looks like going forward. Joe Flacco going out there and having a competent veteran game is going to, you know, eventually water find its level in this point and end with disaster. He had a rough week one. It's not going to be 
easy sledding on there because Joe Flacco's 37 years old and was always the line of elite demarcation anyway. Kyler Murray's the much more interesting part of this, Brandon, because for their win, so again, they were down 23-7 to with nine minutes left in this game. And for the Raiders, this collapse was a one-man show. This was Kyler Murray just decided his better was better than your better in the waning moments of this game. So, with time expiring in regulation, Kyler Murray scrambled around down in the low red zone and managed to score a rushing touchdown. Then on the two-point conversion that they needed just to send this game to overtime, Kyler Murray scrambled for, I believe, 20.8 seconds and covered 85 yards on that play before ultimately delivering a strike in the back of the end zone to send that game to overtime on the two-point conversion. And then in overtime, they got the ball first, their offense stalled out, and then what had been the theme across the NFL early in the regular season, and I didn't see a total number, but I'd be fascinated, not even fumbles lost, Brandon, but just forced fumbles, balls put on the mat all day. It's what allowed the Atlanta Falcons to look like they had a fighting chance and cover at the end of their game against the Los Angeles Rams. Mm -hmm. It is what kept so many teams in the game this weekend, but none more so than at the end of this one, because in overtime, Las Vegas gets the ball back, and Hunter Renfro, who gets typecast as the wide receiver in so many ways, and I don't know how many great players that we have to see. I saw Derwin James was over with Ryan Clark and the guys on the pivot saying that that's one of the toughest receivers in the NFL to cover, and if you sleep on him, you're making a mistake. And yet, we usually associate him with being a great route runner and being sure-handed. And he was the one, after we saw Cooper Cup put it on the deck in the fourth quarter for the Rams... We saw at the end of this one, him putting this one on the map for the Raiders. And it was twice. Twice. And able to recover, able to recover one. Ultimately, the final fumble from him ends up being scooped up by Byron Murphy and returned for a touchdown, a walk-off fumble recovery touchdown by Byron Murphy in overtime, which Brandon, I was amazed they didn't spend more time focused on this in the broadcast. He almost Deshaun Jackson that shit. You say almost, I think he may have. I was stunned watching that because they spent so much time replaying to see if Hunter Renfro had given up the ball before his knee was down. If someone, They wanted to check for everything. Was anyone down yeah. by contact? Had anyone gone out of bounds and come back in and touched it first? All the usual stuff that would be a penalty. But then I'm looking at the back end and Byron Murphy, as he's crossing the goal line, flings the ball back towards the end zone. Almost eerily similar for anyone that, if I'm dating myself with the Deshaun Jackson reference here, Deshaun Jackson, (laughs) once famously crossing the goal line, ended up dropping the ball before he got in the end zone to start celebrating and fumbling it and losing out on the score. And it looked like Byron Murphy was eerily close to that. So it was amazing. That defense full of tweeners. Zabin Collins forced one of those fumbles. The big linebacker formerly out of Tulsa. Isaiah Mm -hmm. Simmons, the Clemson tweener, who was a mutant safety for the Tigers back in the day, was able to punch out that last fumble. I I, I was going to say, I thought Nelson Aguilar with the Patriots did the same thing on their uh, game-winning touchdown for Mac Jones. I thought that he threw it away mighty, mighty close to crossing that plane. And we've seen it many times in football games. I think the refs want it to happen. So I I trust their gut when it comes to my trust in your gut. I trust their their call on it because I'm sure they can't wait to say, that wasn't it. But they're playing it very close, very close, especially for a game winner. 
It was a close day around the goal line in general. We had that in Sunday Night Football, too, with the fourth and inches from the goal line for the Bears when they gave Justin Fields the shotgun quarterback power out of empty, which you could hear people losing their fucking minds as he lined up in shotgun on the inch line instead of being up under center for a quarterback sneak, Brandon. It's never going to fail to frustrate everyone. I thought it was insane, but also if you look at the, the, the sky view, there are plenty of holes. That the, that the Bears offensive line made right there on the one-inch yard line. There were, I think, in this, because I understand why people get upset. Anyone will tell you, tape grinders and analytics people come together that the most efficient play on fourth and one is always a quarterback sneak. It tends to yield the best results. It's the simplest thing. You hand me the ball, we all go forward in a big mass of humanity and get this. You and I both know it's a lot harder than that a lot of times. D-linemen are down there with it's elbow. My dad used to call it elbows and assholes. You're down there in four-point stances trying to crab everyone out here. It's nothing but cut blocks and mayhem. And so it gets a little messy. And so sometimes I can understand if you've got a bigger athlete at quarterback, why you would turn and hand it off to somebody or give him some bit of downhill to go and try and deliver a blow. Jeff Jeff Schwartz, who's been on this podcast, writes over at Fox Sports, former NFL offensive lineman, I thought brought up the more, I think, the point I agree more with, which is I don't like running in that instance when it's spread out like that. So it was Justin Fields alone in the backfield with the O-line in front of him, and then there were more guys spread out. It wasn't one of those condensed, two tight end, two running back formations. Running a cap play there where you have a puller on a power play like there, and they pulled a guard for him down where it is so many condensed D-linemen because to me, you're just making seams where there's already guys firing upfield. Normally in normal down and distances, you can try and create more natural running lanes, but I think especially down in the goal line, unless you've got a dominant offensive line, which the Chicago Bears at this point do not. They've got some players in there that I like, but they don't have a dominant offensive line. I think you're just inviting upfield penetration and it slowed Justin Fields down. I think it's part of the reason why he ended up missing that big hole that they were circling on the broadcast. Yeah, but the hole was there. So I just can't, I I can't uh, justify that as much, but you're talking to now. I know we're going to get to these injuries a little bit later on and Trey Lance being the biggest one. But when you're talking about these design quarterback runs, Mike, I was flabbergasted to see they were, making Trevor Lawrence run counters. It was like QB counters as if it was like the college football. With all the design quarterback run plays, Mike, you talked about the forced fumbles, the quarterback run plays, the flea flickers. It seems like everyone's running the same shit and all the same things are happening in all these different games. Well, I think we've talked about this a lot as a trend in the last few years of coordinators trying to meet their college quarterbacks halfway, which in Mm. general is really good because it gets these guys on the field sooner College football does at times innovate in some ways schematically faster than its NFL counterpart, mostly out of necessity. And then the NFL will pluck what they can because the speed of the game kind of eliminates some of the things that you can do. But you've got great athletes at quarterback, and I can understand why some of these coordinators want to make use to it. We will talk about what the fine line on that looks like. You're right when we get to Trey Lance, because that's going to be the other big topic of conversation. But uh, Brandon, as far as close calls, uh, again, that we talked about, I'm still not really any more bought in on the Cardinals than I already was going into this game. I think we've seen that's a flawed football team. They got drubbed by the Chiefs in week one. That was, I think, expected because of the difference talent-wise in those teams. I mean, the Cardinals don't have their best receiver. We've talked about 
some of the other failings in that roster. But this was why Kyler Murray is always such a complicated study and why the conversation around giving him a contract was such a complicated thing because in the rest of that game, you had A.J. Green with a bunch of bad drops before he caught the two-point conversion to help send that game to overtime. You had other issues that popped up, and then you just had Kyler Murray going backyard football on everyone and doing the things that we've seen. And that's my thing. We've seen this already from Kyler. I've seen him go around and do this and find a way to win games like that. We haven't seen that next level of progression of consistency from this team. And if it's always going to be this kind of manic and hot and cold, then I'm not any more inclined to trust them at this point in time based on what we've seen. So I would look at the Dolphins of the three comeback teams and say that is the group that I am most intrigued by in this season now for what they've put on tape so far. It's been consistent and it's been fast. And I think that speed is always going to give you a chance in this league the way that they've constructed it. They've made it the passing attack version of what Mike McDaniel was a part of with the 49ers rushing attack for so long out there. Um, I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. i just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Brandon, which does lead us then to the next portion of things that I wanted to look at because one of everyone's, we have these statistical landmarks in every NFL season where the NFL crowd loves to remind you. We talked about this preseason with Dad, where the teams that won six or fewer games the year prior, usually one makes yes. the playoffs the following year. 0-2 is one of those interesting marks. And God bless Hal Chapman Wingo, my old pal Trey, took to Twitter to remind everyone that every team that lost week one is trying to avoid the dreaded 0-2 start. Since 1990, 11% of teams that start 0-2 go on to make the playoffs. Andrew Siciliano of your favorite uh, NFL DirecTV Red Zone channel, which yes, they were having you. a little bit of issues this weekend. A little bit of a sticky situation yes, for the DirecTV crowd there. But um, mm-hmm. Siciliano went on Twitter and said, none of the seven NFL teams that started 0-2 last season went on to make the new expanded 14-team playoff. And going through that stat Trey gave with a little more fine-tooth comb, in the previous 31 seasons under a 12-team format, 30 teams went on to make the playoffs after an 0-2 start. Three went on to win the Super Bowl. So, again, less than one team a year ended up coming back from the 0-2 hole and making the postseason. None have done it in the expanded format yet. But, Brandon, with an expanded format, you would expect it to be more likely. And so, looking at the teams that are now 0-2, and we'll call the, we'll call this two Americas since we've got 0-2, four 0-2 teams and four 2-0 teams through two weeks of the season because math who needs to start panicking from this zero and two group who are we going to put a fork into after two weeks of the nfl season brandon we've got the carolina panthers sitting at zero and two right now 
They lose to the New York Giants back-to-back weeks, losing on a 56-yard field goal and a 58-yard field goal to lose their first two games of the season. The Falcons, who we talked about, made it close at the end, managed to cover, God bless their souls, against the Los Angeles Rams in L.A. in Week 2. The Raiders that we just talked about losing against the Cardinals, what this may mean for Derek Carr's future if this season doesn't end in a playoff berth, considering they got that out there. And then by far the most interesting one, the Cincinnati Bengals. AFC representative in the Super Bowl last year, starting off 0-2. And Brandon, Joe Burrow, who was sacked 70 times last season, regular season and postseason, is on pace, which is my other favorite season, on pace season. Joe Burrow is on pace to be sacked 111 times this season. He was sacked (laughs) six times against the Dallas Cowboys. The Dak Prescottless, beaten down Dallas Cowboys that we left for dead sacked that motherfucker six times in this game this weekend. I don't know what's going on. We knew, Brandon, that regression was coming for the Cincinnati Bengals. And we said last week, the offensive line, four new starters, wasn't going to be a quick fix. But I didn't imagine it would be this bad off the rip. Lel Collins, who they brought over and paid decent coin to at right tackle, who had been a really productive player for the Dallas Cowboys, who they brought over, he ended up undrafted because of some off-the-field stuff that ended up not necessarily being his fault coming out of LSU in college, they decided to let him walk. Micah Parsons, who I'm sure he saw plenty in practice last year on his way to Defensive Rookie of the Year, Put him in absolute hell this game. Micah Parsons, through the first two weeks of the NFL, you could sell me on as the best pure pass rusher in the league right now because he has been a force on the edge. He's not the best defensive end. TJ Watt might have something to say about that on his best day, but what Micah Parsons poses to you is pure speed, unbelievable body angles and fluidity, the shit that we talk about with Von Miller, and then a spin move that has started to become a thing of folklore already. It's been insane. And seeing that kind of performance against that, an offensive line that knew that was the weak point of the team last year, that knew we poured all that money into it this offseason, and you haven't seen any improvement through two weeks. Even trying to be patient in the way that we talked about still has to be an astounding result for this team that just does not look like itself. Well, I think it does look like itself. They look like the Cincinnati Bengals, not just getting sacked up and down, but, you know, losing losing games in creative ways, right? Like, I of all these teams that I want to put a fork in, I want to put my fork into the Bengals, but Joe Burrow is eating those sacks. Joe Burrow could get sacked 111 times and still end up in the Super Bowl just because he's that dude. So I'm still afraid of him the way people – Used to be afraid of Tom Brady. I'm going to say used to. Used to. I'm still afraid of Joe Burrow in that regard. But when it comes to sticking a fork in the Bengals, I, with Jamar Chase and, and Joe Mixon and Hayden Hurst, like I honestly don't think you can, in, a, in your right mind, put a fork in the Bengals just yet. Now, no. someone else on that list, I think you can. Yeah, I wouldn't dream of putting a fork in the Bengals just yet. That would be the one team. And it's all, this is what happens to us once we see a quarterback do the thing in the postseason that Joe Burrow did, is now you get all that capital from us, even if it's undeserved. Going back and looking last year at what the Bengals put on display early in the season, they started off 3-1. and They beat Minnesota, Pittsburgh, and Jacksonville and lost to Chicago. Now, there were bad losses on the last season for them. They had a stretch in the middle of the season where they lost back-to-back weeks to the Jets and the Cleveland Browns, 
and that was the injured Baker Mayfield Cleveland Browns I don't even remember if Baker was starting that game or if he was too banged up or not but there were bad losses and that was an inconsistent football team last year during the regular season they just managed to get to the postseason and then start playing their best ball and then have Joe Burrow do even more superhero stuff by the end of the season when we got to that Chiefs game it was him and Jamar Chase on an unholy tear and so I think I'm ready to account for some of the difficulty that they're going to face this season but Brandon the problem is again the Ravens in that division are clearly the better team now where they're going to get some reprieve is I don't know what's going to happen to Cleveland by week 12 when Lamar when uh excuse me when Deshaun Watson is allowed back in that lineup I don't know where they're going to be how that's going to change the way they go about that and what opportunities that might afford the Bengals down the stretch of the season because if Cleveland can get and still be in the playoff hunt at that point, be in the wild card hunt by then alongside this Cincinnati Bengals team, that becomes really dangerous for them at that time and makes it a little more complicated in how crowded the AFC playoff picture is for this year. I wouldn't predict it based on what we saw this weekend from the Browns, but I'm just saying the AFC is so much bigger of a juggernaut this year that now all of a sudden, if you're Cincinnati and you wait too long, sneaking in the back door is going to be harder than it was last year. Yeah, I agree with you, but... uh... It was very hard how they did it last year. <laughs> like, and I think that I don't know if the Cleveland Browns necessarily. I don't believe in the Browns this year. I think I do think that yeah. I'm putting some stock in these first two weeks, and I can be alarmist. And I think you're being a little bit of like an overreaction with the Miami Dolphins because I expect that those wheels could fall off at any point in time just because the head co- head coach or a new a new head coach rookie head coach. But Mike McDaniel seems real, man. I'm I'm afraid of yeah. I'm afraid of them. So I I. Like we said, if, if we're putting a fork in people, I'm not going to stick it in the Bengals yet. I'm not going to stick in the Raiders yet. But if you ask me to have confidence in one team at this point, it could be the Raiders that you'd have confidence in. The division's going to make it tough. In? Yes. Yeah, I, I would say only because of Max Crosby. But yes, continue. Him and Chandler Jones, like that duo has already started to pay off. You saw them affecting the games in big ways. They've got Devontae Adams there, who was super productive last week. Like, we kind of glossed over yardage-wise the damage Devontae Adams did in that game just because it got hairy later on. But the one that you can absolutely, I think, stick a fork in at this point, Brandon, and this was, I went on, like I said, I went on Kevin Clark's podcast, um, Slow News Day, and we played take mulligans, where if you threw already one week of the NFL season, got a chance to take something back that you said, what would it be? And mine was, when we had that six-win team that could become a playoff team conversation, shying away from my gut and what I believed and I saw, I saw as far as a foundation built for the Lions, and going with the Carolina Panthers and saying they could do it if they got good Baker. This is the situation that I thought playing out, Brandon, gets Matt Rule maybe fired in the middle of this season somehow because we know he was already walking into this year on thin ice in a hot seat and nothing about these first two games I think is going to do a lot to help his lot in life. Is Baker going to get him fired too? Like, I, Baker Mayfield doesn't look great. Like, he looks – like, seeing him on the field with Daniel Jones looked bad for da- Baker. Yeah, and I mean, listen, Daniel Jones was – what Daniel Jones is ultimately, I think, going to be what he's always been, which is wildly inconsistent. You're going to keep seeing flashes, but at this point, he just may be too far gone to save in the way people wanted Brian Dayball to. We'll see if that evens out over the course of a long season, but I think we underestimate how long that Josh Allen project took to build in the right ways, 
and they just don't have that time with Daniel Jones. They're going to make a contract decision on him after this year. And so I think he'll likely be playing his football elsewhere when it's all said and done for the Giants. But yeah, the, the Panthers, it just has not come together as fast as they've needed it to. They were another team that had to kind of remake an offensive line on the fly this offseason. Baker is also one of those guys that's going to be largely imperfect and maybe a complete product at this point. But I would say uh, I'm done with the Panthers and I regret going with them over the Detroit Lions, who we will properly celebrate as this podcast goes along. Um, Brandon, uh, before we finish up two Americas here, the 2-0 and o teams, Dolphins, Chiefs, Giants, Bucks. Um, who are we buying of that group? I already said, I don't think this Giants season is really going to necessarily do anything. It might have some good moments, and it might revive the career of Saquon Barkley, who statistically, less impressive game this week. Going up against, I think, a much better defense, what you've got in the Carolina Panthers. But the yeah. Chiefs are going to be there. Chiefs are a Super Bowl favorite, Super Bowl contender type status. I already said I think the Dolphins look like a playoff team right now. And the Bucks are going to be there, but, man, it doesn't look fun right now. It looks positively miserable. And I don't want to get into too much into the off-the-field stuff where we hear all the, you know, talk about Tom Brady and the, the happy wife, happy life thing. But... Something's making that guy a lot more miserable than he usually seems. And this was in a game where he beat the Saints team that had traditionally Mm -hmm. given him issues. Now, a lot of that was the Drew Brees Saints teams. But even last year, I think the Saints game was that four... uh, Wasn't the Saints game, it was last year, two years ago, the holding the four up there where he thought the downs were... No, that was Chicago. That was Chicago. I'm sorry. That was was Chicago. But the Saints have given him trouble since he got down to Tampa Bay. Yeah, it was a prime time. It was a Thursday night game against Chicago where he did the fours up. Okay. But Saints have given him trouble since he got down to Tampa. And he actually win. And we still got memeable content out of him destroying the Microsoft tablet on the sideline. And it seemed like every time something went wrong, completely losing his cool. That guy looks like he is dealing with more than he's ever dealt with. I still think their team and that defense especially that we saw go out there and really put it on the Saints are going to be able to get them to the playoffs and the places they're used to being, but it doesn't look like it's going to be a good time. Like, however this ends for Tom this season, it seems like it's going to end on more of a whimper than a roar based on what we have seen so far. Oh, and it can't. And it can't, and that's the problem. It does have to end in a roar because it's Tom Brady and he's back. But to go back to the Saints and versus the Bucks, I don't know if I want to give credit to the Bucks for this win as much as I want to give credit Credit to James Winston for being the interception machine that he can be when he's really feeling it. You know what I mean? Like they had Tom Brady in their head until Tom Brady pulled the the LeBron James, hit Draymond Green in the nuts, have them mess themselves up by taking themselves out of the game thing where he gets into it with Marshawn Lattimore. It really pissed me the fuck off. I can tell it has affected you a lot. And I can understand it because, again, Brandon, this game was so close for so long. This was a 3-3 game through three quarters. And then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers scored 17 points in the fourth. Largely, like you said, off Jameis Winston turnovers late in this game. And we know they were coming into this one without uh, Alvin Kamara in the lineup there. He was on the sideline for them. But you have Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry. Like, this is supposed to be a pretty potent group and neither side it's a testament to the defenses on both sides i think we know the bucks okay. offense a little beat up but these are two really good groups that fight was insane though marshawn Lattimore and mike evans 
We have very few things that we mm. can firmly hang our hat on in this league. And the hatred, the genuine hatred between these two men is so palpable. So for anyone that missed it, Marshawn Lattimore was talking shit to Tom Brady after a play. They were walking off the field and Tom goes and says something back to him. And Tristan Wirfs gets over there, their big right tackle out no, of Iowa. It was it was it was it was Leonard Fournette who first put his hands oh, on Oh, that's right, that's right. Marshawn so, uh, Lattimore. Leonard Fournette gets over there and gets in Lattimore's face because they're all taken up for Brady, and understandably so. And then Mike Evans comes from distance and full on glass break, bah God, that's Mike Evans music, gets up under Marshawn Lattimore and blindsides him. Like it was it was dirty pool. That wasn't a straight up hit. That wasn't yeah. it was kind of like the beef we had about the Leonard Fournette chip. He didn't like he came when Marshawn Lattimore wasn't ready and knocked him the bleep out. And then the melee ensued from there. Both of those guys got thrown out. And that really has become the one thing we can count on Marsha or Mike Evans trying, you know, getting himself thrown out of these Saints games whenever it pops up. I just I'm so mad about it mainly because I feel like Tom Brady started that fight. And then when the bench is cleared, he was nowhere to be found. Now, obviously, he's an older man, and he has brittle bones. And I mean, what's he going to do? And, Mike, he started it. He started it. Somebody should have pushed uh, him at the bottom of that pile. I wouldn't say he started it, Brandon. Like, how could you say he didn't start it? Him and Marshawn Lattimore were, were jawjacking back and forth, and then out of nowhere, uh, uh, Leonard, uh, playoff Lenny, regular season Lenny, gives him a little chip block. And then Marshawn Lattimore, you know, put his feet grounded and started, oh, oh, I'm talking to you now, too? And then out of nowhere, Mike Evans clears him. So you're telling me Tom Brady didn't start that? Because that play would have been on to the next if Tom Brady and Marshawn Lattimore weren't still talking. Yeah, Marshawn Lattimore jawed at Brady. Brady jawed back. Those Brandon, those, those two were talking. Listen, whoever started it, those two were talking shit to each other, which happens on damn near every play in football. The difference was... Tom Brady had teammates that were ready to square up for him right off the jump, and Marshawn Lattimore's teammates were slow to the draw. No, the difference was Tom Brady was pissed and everybody was legitimately nervous around him. Like, they had no idea what was going on. They know Tom was upset, and whoever is making Tom upset needs to be put on their butt. And that's what happened. And that and that's the shit I love. That's the way it's supposed to be with your quarterback, Brandon. That's how it goes. My Get favorite thing here. in sports line are the... Crap. All my right, favorite whatever. my favorite okay. things in sports are when we do this with goalies in hockey and lacrosse and when we do it with quarterbacks in football where they're the protected class. And if you want to try and get to them, what do we see in the NHL postseason? Every time someone gets by the goalie, you got a hand up under your chin driving you back into the boards right now because that's not how we get down out here. The one rule I was always taught, Brandon, when it comes to fights on the field is I got to see you as long as you're on the field because in a game, you don't want a penalty for coming off the sideline and doing this shit. If you're on the field, I need to see you running towards the pile because the last thing you want is to turn on that film the next week and be the one dude that was chilling in the back. Like you can get, some guys will get a vet distinction, right? If you're a vet who we don't want to get hurt and that's why Tom Brady in this case I don't want him anywhere near that fight if I'm on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're old man Brady. You don't need to be out here doing anything physical right now here. You're writing checks and we'll go cash them. But for everyone else, I want to see you going towards the pile. That's really the only rule. I'm not saying throw punches or do anything dumb like that. I'm just saying when someone tries your quarterback here, Leonard Fournette, all, thing, all things being truthful, he was the one that made it physical. He was the one that went over there and decided we were going to involve hands in this situation. If we want to actually call who started popping things off. 
And I'm not saying that in a negative way, by the way, here. Because, again, I think having your quarterbacks back is the right thing to do. That's the way we're supposed to do this stuff on that side. Okay. (laughs) So that was the fight that went down between those two teams. And, again, uh, if we're doing two Americas and the 2-0 and teams, the only one I'm really not buying is the Giants. Again, I think Bucks, Dolphins, and Chiefs could all end up being playoff teams. I I really – oh. Before you move on, because we, we skipped this team. The 0 1 1 team. Oh, the yeah. The Indianapolis yeah. Colts. That AFC is true. South. That is true. Mike, if the if the 2022 Detroit Lions are the team that can and will, then the 2022 Indiana Colts are the team that can't and won't. Shh. Man, it's it's gotten so bad in such a hurry. And Brandon, I saw in this game. Um, NFL Next Gen Stats does charting of player separation, how much room receivers are able to give for their quarterbacks. And if you go and look okay. at that chart, it'll have all the receivers. It's like a spider web. It'll have all the receivers on the outside, and it'll go out based on how much separation they got on average. And the Dolphins wide receiver separation chart looks like it's two circles over the top of each other. Those guys were butt naked wide open the entire day. Dude, nobody on the Colts is getting any kind of separation in that receiver room. The offensive line isn't protecting Matt Ryan as well as we thought was going to go on with that team. Hell, the defense was getting carved up by a Jacksonville team that some people thought might have been a little bit overhyped coming into week one. And instead, they were able to go out there and tear shit up a little bit, Brandon. So it's 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 time to sound the alarms a bit. There needs to be some sort of come to Jesus for the Colts because I get... In this division, because we still got Monday Night Football coming up here. We got the Titans and the Bills getting ready to square off. And so maybe the Titans go out and get dropped in this thing too. And they're no better off in the AFC South. But the Colts just kind of like the Bengals haven't given us anything to sink our teeth into or anything to be hopeful about so far in 2022. I saw the same look in Matt Ryan's eyes during week two that I saw in Baker Mayfield's eyes week one with with the Panthers. He was like, I cannot believe this team sucks too. Like, I can't believe this team is this bad too. Like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it's new everything around me, and I'm still feeling this crazy. <laughs> like, this, like the, the the team can't. Mo Ali Cox is so big, he can't even drag a second foot. Mike, like the tight end for the Colts, like the the way that they were messing up, it just it just doesn't seem fair to Matt Ryan. But it also feels like he's right where he's supposed to be at the same time. It is going to make you start to wonder if we'll look more at Frank Reich and if we'll look more at Chris Ballard, the folks putting this together. Because I saw Dan Orlovsky tweeting maybe it wasn't the quarterback in reference to Carson Wentz, who Dan has long defended in this league. And listen, Carson Wentz, it's never going to be perfect, but I think we have to start looking and wondering. This Colts team that seemingly every year built that really good offensive line, had a really good defense when Matt Eberflus was over there coaching that unit. And seemed like they had that window for a while where they had a ton of cap space and they weren't spending the way that we thought they would. You wonder if this ends up being like Danny Ainge and the Celtics sitting around with a lot of those picks and not turning it into the things that you needed to. You know, uh, again, uh, Pittman at wide receiver is a very good player. You mentioned Mo Alley Cox there. Jonathan Taylor is obviously a guy who was a midseason MVP candidate last year in the NFL. And even he was not getting the kind of yards and touches that we expected over the course of this game. Nothing's lived up to expectations Bro, so far for that team. Favorite. He had nine yards rushing early in the third quarter. 
and then he broke off a 29-yarder and got some yards back, and then he broke off another 20-plus yarder, another explosive play. But 9-9 nine, nine in the third quarter? Yeah. it's Oh, it was it, Brandon, it was stunning. And I think part of this is, and I want to go back and, and, and as we you know, start to watch some of these again and just look at what's going on with the Colts' offensive line, because I just thought off the strength of that unit alone, it would make the jobs of those other ones easier. And if you're no longer dealing with elite at those spots, then what does that start to do to the other piece? Jonathan Taylor is a legitimately incredible talent. But we've seen, look at Saquon Barkley in New York, if you don't have it working in front of him in those ways. And with that, it was the total opposite. That was a bad offensive line that ended up ruining him in so many ways, even going back to Penn State. So... Yeah, that was that's a, a tough, tough look. And I was excited about that Jags offense going into the season. It was nice to see some of those things starting to come to fruition, but it's a lot more about what we saw with the Colts. But um, Brandon, before we end up giving out roses on this podcast, we do want to touch on, I, I think, the biggest injury news that we saw this weekend. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Trey Lance, uh, the 49ers end up getting a big win over the Seahawks. I think 27-7 to was the final score of this game, but the story was Trey Lance carted off in the first quarter with about two minutes left after he was a part of his own read play where he kept the, uh, the ball and ran it up the middle of that offense. He ends up going down with a bad ankle injury that, man, I really didn't need to see replayed again as much as people wanted to. That was one of those... Once you see someone's foot going the wrong way, do not show it on yeah. TV anymore. Like, I understand that there might be a section of that fan, like the fan base that wants to know what happened with their players. Tell them, describe it. We don't need to see that again. That stuff is, I mean, that's Trey Lance's future, Brandon. Because right. the, the yes, way that, I, I hear you. I hear the you. way that this game Two to three went, angles, though. Two to three angles. Two to three angles I'm okay with. I'd just rather not see it again ever, man. It's It's one of those things that especially once you know if you're it's one thing if you're replaying to try and see what happened out of ignorance but if you've identified it in the truck as part of the broadcast and you know someone snapped something in a way that they're not supposed to we don't need to see that again you don't need to put a viewing audience through that i don't think it's fair to the family or the friends of the player involved i don't think anyone benefits from that situation but that's just my opinion because i tend to be a little bit you know i understand there's part of me and i've heard dominique foxworth make this argument for years that People need to reckon with the violence of football. 
and what it brings and what a part of like that's the reality when we talk about what these men are putting their bodies on the line for and doing week after week i understand and appreciate that i think there are other ways to do it without having to show stuff like this but brandon after that happens jimmy garoppolo steps back in jimmy garoppolo plays pretty well in this game he you you know what he was is he was jimmy garoppolo the one that we've seen when healthy for the rest of his time with the 49ers. He finished 12 or 13 to 21 for 154 yards and a touchdown in this game. Again, playing the majority of three quarters. Much more of this game to me was about, hey, when you get the 49ers on a normal track and not that sloppy field in Chicago covered in rain, this is a fast defense. This is an offense that's really creative rushing-wise. All the things that we knew were strengths for them. And Jimmy Garoppolo has always been a competent adult in the room who can make plays in the body of a Kyle Shanahan offense. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, for what it's worth, also earned an extra three hundred and fifty grand on Sunday, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for playing at least twenty five snaps, and an extra hundred grand for the win. Remember, his contract was full of incentives, and this was a guy that spent all training camp like. Jimmy Garoppolo does deserve credit for what he did this weekend, Brandon, because he did not take mm-hmm. reps this offseason with the ones because this was Trey Lance's team. He didn't take reps during yeah. training camp with the ones because he was still rehabbing a soldier injury that largely affected his free agent potential this offseason and the ability of the – I shouldn't say free agency, but affected the ability of the 49ers to potentially move him this offseason. And so he's coming into this about as cold as possible and ends up performing really well for this team against the Seahawks team that was due to come back down to earth after last week but I saw people Brandon making something and asking Kyle Shanahan about should he have been calling so many runs with Trey Lance we saw a lot of those happen in Chicago a lot of the stuff with Trey Lance had gone on up in the middle of these runs I look at that as really more unfortunate than indicative of a bad trend as far as Kyle Shanahan's play calling just because the sell with Trey Lance had always been potential in the downfield passing game but also how Kyle could use him in this running game and could you take a quarterback who's a really good runner between the tackles in college albeit at FCS North Dakota State which we know was one of the best FCS programs in the country if not the best over the last decade plus but he was playing against comparatively lesser physical talents on the other side on defense. He was built for that. He's an incredibly physically gifted player. So I don't have problems with using him in the run game because I think it's a great way to help settle down that guy while he develops into the passer that you wanted him to develop into. Use his gifts, make him comfortable in a way that he is naturally gifted at here. It's just unfortunate the way that it worked out. It is unfortunate, Mike, but I do think that when you're scripting a game out, I understand the concept of why Kyle Shanahan would do this and run the ball with Trey Lance because he can right up in the middle and like the CBC gap a couple early in the first quarter. It seems is I don't even know what type of precedent is trying to set. You know what I mean? Running backs is one thing, kind of getting their body into it, the wear and tear till they finally wear a, a defense down, that type of stuff. But your quarterback right there in that moment, I don't really, I, I didn't, I didn't understand the decision. Not that the injury was was led by the decision, but I didn't understand the decision. So he had three rushing attempts for 13 yards in the game before the injury happened, and. <laughs> Yeah, we'll just we'll disagree on this one because I think this needed to be a part of the rushing attack plan when you've got Trey Lance at quarterback. I think we have all spent the last two the you know, last year leading up to this 
looking to see if Kyle would have done and integrated this last year in red zone packages. This was always going to be part of the appeal of Trey Lance. And I think we've seen for quarterbacks that have this in their bag, sometimes going out there, I would imagine, and Brandon, we know this all the time, quarterbacks and play callers have conversations early in the week all the way through the week about these are the plays I like and these are the plays I don't. These are the plays I'm comfortable with. These are the plays I feel good about. And normally we think about that in route concepts and the things that they want to call in the passing game. I'm sure with a rushing quarterback. And I always thought about this relative to Cam Newton. And I don't bring this up to say that, you know, Trey Lance was Cam Newton, but he was a more physical runner between the tackles that would liken you more to Cam Newton than say like Russell Wilson or Andrew Luck or someone who was going to be able to work on the perimeter if they were going to be able to work at all as a part of your rushing attack. And so for Trey Lance, I would imagine there would have to be a conversation during the week. Hey, coach, based on how I'm feeling physically, this is the stuff that I'm comfortable with. These are the plays that I like here. Maybe I like where we, you know, reverse the quarterback and the running back role to where the running back's the outside read on this and the quarterback can run power or something up inside where you're actually trying to create more space on a lot of those plays where you end up running quarterback power. You're trying to get the defense running east and west so there are fewer bodies in there for Trey Lance. And then he gets used to, all right, how do I go about protecting myself when I can in those spots, being physical when I can in those spots? I'd imagine there's got to be some conversation around that, even for a young player in Trey Lance that we know is still green as far as being a starting quarterback overall. Yeah, I just, I mean, I just... And listen, it's it's tough and it's hard to look at it now. I totally get that because we're all bummed because the mm-hmm. one thing that I, I thought coming off this too is now this is, for the 49ers, a nightmare scenario as far as their future plans because I firmly believe that this was a playoff roster. And we know Trey Lance, the gamble there was about making it a Super Bowl winning roster. But they're going to get right. back to the postseason, especially as we talk about in this year's NFC. Jimmy Garoppolo's been good enough to do that when he's healthy and on the field. And I have no doubt that if he's healthy on the field now, quarterback depth is going to be something they have to continue to address right now because it is only um, Jimmy Garoppolo and then Brock Purdy, who's the rookie out of uh, Iowa State, that's on their roster. Yeah. It was a very good co- quarterback in college. Had a really stellar 2020 season as Iowa State yeah. climbed the charts. Was a guy that was really well regarded for a while and sort of tailed off in the last couple of years a little bit as that team lost some of their key weapons and some things changed. But they're going to have to address that in some way because, again, Jimmy Garoppolo is coming off of a shoulder injury. Like, that is not a guy that's 100% walking into this moment for all the reasons that we talked about. And so, but if they're healthy and if he can stay on the field the whole time, Brandon, they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs in the NFC this year. And now if you have Jimmy Garoppolo come back on on that cheaper deal lead this team to the playoffs, and you've got Trey Lance, who, as important as anything, loses another year of development. What have we talked about? He started one season at North Dakota State, had one showcase game during that 2020 season, and then was the third overall pick in the draft and didn't play much last year. Had the hand or the thumb injury last year and some other stuff that kept him off the field and affected his development. And for a guy that has played and started that few games compared to some of his peers every chance you get to go and prepare as a starter and to work over the course of an offseason not rehabbing from injury is so vital to your development. And for Trey to lose another year of that, because a low body injury is going to affect a lot of how that goes, that to me is massive in the midst of this. And if you have Jimmy Garoppolo go out and make the postseason again with this roster, you're going to have a whole group of veterans on this team looking and saying, "We, we believe we've got a window 
that got one more year tacked onto it for all the other spots. And George Kittle wasn't on the field for them. He's still banged up dealing with a groin injury right now. There are other things you've got to consider with this team. And if Jimmy Garoppolo goes and does what I believe he can and makes the playoffs, now I don't know what this does for the future of Trey Lance's career because I think it makes it really hard to approach it and say, we're just going to put you back out on the field next year, no questions asked. Like This may have affected the course of his career, unfortunately, for the rest of his career. I'm disheartened for Trey Lance, but the the 49ers fans as well. I mean, I can't imagine the the amount of scotch that was drinking in Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch uh, last night. After that, that that huge loss, uh, it, it's unfortunate, and I, it's it feels a little bit unbelievable after just getting that one week of of Trey Lance last week in the monsoon. And it's amazing that they're doing that coming off a win. Like you rightly said, that huge loss in losing a player in Trey Lance that you had invested so much yeah. and wanted to develop, but you won the game. You beat the, the you beat that Seattle Seahawks team that was coming off the showing against Denver where everyone thought, oh, maybe this will be something. And you went out and beat them pretty handily over the course of that game. And Jimmy Garoppolo came in and played really well, and everyone had to balance being happy. And it's such a hard thing to do as a teammate because you've got Trey Lance there. With oh. life, life when you're injured is lonely, man. You're not doing normal stuff with like. the team. You're by yourself, and he's going to have to watch them enjoy and celebrate Jimmy Garoppolo because I'm sure they love him too and watch that team do well in a way that's really painful. Outside of the injury being repeated on the TV copy, I hope Trey Lance never watches that copy because you're watching him get carted off the field in his air cast and, and it, you get the, the big wide scope, you know, shot on iPhone, uh, pulled out .5, and it's the whole stadium, right? Everyone... And Santa Clara just clapping and, and wishing their their quarterback of the future a, a speedy recovery. Cut to immediately Jimmy Grappolo taking snaps, smiling his ass off. It was, I was like, damn. Like, obviously, it's a good opportunity for him. And, and the, you couldn't write the story better. But at the expense of what? Like, I, it, it was really tough to see the, all that emotion wrapped up in Trey Lance getting caught off the field. Didn't know if he was going to wave to the crowd. He didn't know how to play it because he's just so in disbelief himself. And then you just see Jimmy Grapple over there with the, with the quarterback taking snaps. Well, and I mean. Like he was in the subway commercial all over again. It's football, though. Like, that's the most painful part of the sport is, and everyone always says it. When you see a massive injury like that, you and I, I mean, I remember when it happened in practice. We were getting ready for bowl prep our freshman year, and one of our reserve DNs, Callan Wade, snapped his ankle like that in the middle of a kickoff drill, and we moved the drill 20 yards, and the medical staff tended to him, and then we got back and kept practicing. And that happens at every football team in the country, college, pro, high school, and otherwise. Everyone's heard, Riverside it. You flip the drill, you move it down, mm. and you keep going. And in the game, we see guys get carted off whose careers may be changed forever. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say this is going to have a real major effect on Trey Lance's career trajectory. You watch him go off grappling with that right as the rest of the team gets ready to blow the whistle and keep playing a football game. And everyone else just goes out there and saw one of their friends get injured. And then you've got to process. That's always, the to me, the most insane part about an athlete is you're such a narrow-minded, myopic focus that for you, you're so worried about what you're going to do the next play that you ignore the fact that you just saw football mortality stare you in the eye and that this could very Ooh. really be done for any of us on any play. I've never considered that, Mike, and that is something uh, – it's unreal for the players that are on the field. But I will say for Trey Lance and for anyone else, 
you don't have to look too far for inspiration because I think Alex Smith is is proven to be to show what can happen when you have that level of dedication and 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 rehab and I don't know we were all kind of rooting for Alex Smith I was trying I was trying to think about like when's the last time yeah. we saw a quarterback go through a horrific lower leg injury and then we were able to celebrate their accomplishments on the back end obviously he was near the end of his career when that happened but still uh I think you can look at Alex Smith and, and have a little bit obviously a completely different injury but a, a little bit more uh hope and uh aspiration inspiration into what can happen for Trey Lance on the other end of this yeah God willing man would love to see a great comeback story and again you're right it's not as career threatening as Alex Smith's injury was but it's the timing you know it's the second year you're losing another year on his rookie deal as you're trying to learn to make this decision then you're starting to think all right you got two seasons before you've got to make a call about his fifth year option and that's assuming everything goes as well as we hope it does with the surgery and the recovery coming off that as we come back and based on what we've seen in Green Bay with David Bakhtiari and all of the remnants of what happened with his ACL don't take even with modern medicine I don't take that stuff for granted because so much of this can be variable in these situations so we wish him all the best we really hope Trey Lance does well but the situation got as complicated and as messy as it could possibly have for the 49ers we talked about this what could get Jimmy Garoppolo on the field and injury was about the only thing we thought would do it based on where they sat and that uh, was what we got over this weekend. So, um, Brandon, we have roses that we need to give out on Monday as well. For anyone new to Gojo Show, every Monday as a show that observes The Bachelor, Bachelorette, and soon Bachelor in Paradise, which if anyone has never checked it out, is the premier franchise in The Bachelor and Bachelorette universe. Brandon, you making a sour face because you disagree? I just don't know what that craziness is. What oh. is going on there? So, Bachelor in Paradise is where they take the contestants that did not win from The Bachelor and Bachelorette and the ones that aren't going on to be The Bachelor or Bachelorette in an upcoming season, and they bring them to a tropical paradise location, and they bring everyone down there, and so all of them get to commingle at once. There's no one Bachelor or Bachelorette. You bring everyone down there. There's one bar that everyone gets to hang out at, and usually Wells, who is a former contestant, is the bartender on that one, does a phenomenal job, seems like a really nice guy. And they all go down there, and then you date people on the show. And the whole idea is everyone pairs up. You can ask people out on dates, but it's much more about that group there. And then how you pair up ends up determining who stays or goes. As people leave, they'll bring on other contestants from other seasons. They'll insert ones in there that were potentially controversial during seasons to try and stir shit a little bit. You get some unlikely duos that show up here. It is fascinating theater. Okay, so it's Bachelor meets uh, Flavor of Love, but who's getting the roses? How do we decide who stays for till next week? Bachelor in Paradise is all about if you are paired up with someone or not. So if you don't have a pair, week. you're it's like musical chairs. All right, yeah, I pulled up the rules, and Brandon, you are right. There are still roses, but it is about pairing off here at the end of the week. Um, there is a rose ceremony where either the men or the women give roses to the contestants they feel the strongest connection to. And as long as that person accepts the rose, then you're good to go. And if the people who don't get a rose, they're the ones that get sent home. And that's where some of the churn starts to happen here. So it doesn't alternate. Sometimes the men get to give out the roses. Sometimes the women get to give out the roses. There's some strategy that tends to be involved in here. Some people that just are naturally into each other. And so, yeah, it's much more of a... It's much more of a battle re- battle royale than like uh yes. you know one person at the top of the pile. I like the Jack and Joe roses. I like that. I'm gonna check it out. 
Jack and Jill Rose is there. And Brandon, what goes great with Paradise Beaches and Sunshine would certainly be our friends at Knockaround Sunglasses before we get to these roses hey. here. Knockaround's polarized sunglasses cost around $30 a pair and are perfect for trying to go out there and find the love of your life in a tropical beach setting. They have 15 different frames that come in a multitude of colors. You got something for everybody. Brandon continues to model them for us if you're watching on YouTube right now. Styling, profiling, looking great and feeling Thank better. You. He looks incredible right now. God. Mm. Every day, you can find a pair to match your mood. Hell, game day, you can get them in the colors of your favorite team here. We've seen Brandon do it with Notre Dame, the Baltimore Ravens, the Lakers. Over a billion possible accommodations in the Knockaround Custom Shop. They're perfect for going outside, going for a run, partying with your friends, or like we said, maybe Bachelor in Paradise. Maybe they'll pop up on this season. A lot of you have sent us pictures in your Knockarounds. Keep doing that at Gojo Show. We love you. You look great. Very, very heck sexy. What you've been doing in the offseason to get ready... It shows it's working and you're ready for the fall. Knockaround sunglasses are high quality polarized sunglasses at a truly affordable price. Go check out their huge range of shades at knockaround.com and use promo code Gojo for 20% off. At checkout, again, knockaround.com, promo code Gojo is going to get you 20% off already affordable sunglasses. Brandon, now it's time to give out these here roses here. Uh, would you like to start us off, Brandon, with the first rose? You and I each get two roses to give out for people that we want to bring with us into the rest of the week here. Who is your first rose going to? Denver Broncos head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. Will you accept this rose? All right. Mike, Didn't see this thinking. one coming. Didn't see this one coming. I know what you're thinking, but... I love a little confusion and chaos and what the F is going on in my football, Mike. I love when regular decisions are to be made and someone goes left. You know this about me. You know how my brain works. You know what the things that gets my rocks off. I love Nathaniel Hackett and the complete chaos he is using to run this Denver Broncos team. I, I mentioned before that Russell Wilson should have taken the control of the situation and made some decisions on his own. I think he's starting to do that. But, but Mike, this guy, Nathaniel Hackett, who's been calling the plays for the Denver Broncos, so far this season, shouts out to uh, at Mace Denver, Andrew Mason. Five goal-to-go situations so far this season. Three field goals, nine of possible 35 points, and a shotgun at the one-yard line. <laughs> I mean, I mean, here's another one from him. How do you have two delay of game penalties on field goal attempts in a single game? Oh, like honestly, Brandon, Nathaniel they, Hackett. They also had to call a timeout on fourth and 14 because they didn't have a punt returner on the field. It was... Mike? Mike? This is the stuff that I love. This is the stuff that I love and cherish, and I can't wait. And the fact that Russell Wilson is in the middle of it, Mike, oh, my gosh, this is the type of football that I – this is it. This is it for me. No stat lines, just complete effery. It was some effery, man. This team looks like it is uh, going to be a struggle this year. That was not a uh, an over – an overwhelming or impressive effort because going into this weekend, I just belched into the mic, which is pretty gross. But going into the weekend, you, you, you muted it. They were one, Brandon, they were one of the double digit favorites this weekend. They were 10 point favorites over the Houston Texans, and the Texans managed to give them hell and make this a 9 to 16 slop fest. So I appreciate you courting chaos literally in this sense and giving it a rose, Brandon, and oh. handing that to Nathaniel Hackett. 
I I started with all the 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 crap. I should have just said, congratulations to Nathaniel Hackett winning his home opener uh, out in Denver. Hey, we know it's not always pretty here. We're Notre Dame fans right now. A win's a win's a win's a win's a win, and we'll take it. Uh, Brandon, my first rose. Uh, I know a lot of times we do these for uh, do these for fun. This one was actually one of the more touching moments over the weekend in the world of college football, and did want to highlight a legitimate good thing because at times it feels like we get so few legitimate good things here. So, absolutely. If anyone had missed this last week on Thursday of last week. Brian Brzee, who is a star defensive tackle for Clemson, who is going to be an incredible future NFL player, was injured last year and has come back and has played really well through the first couple games of the season. He was not with the team this weekend as they took on Louisiana Tech because his younger sister, Ella, unfortunately passed away Thursday after a battle with brain cancer. The Clemson players in their week prior had all been wearing shirts that said Ella Strong on them with the 11, which is Brian's number, highlighted in the middle and had been playing in her honor. And it was incredibly sad. And for that Clemson family, for the Brzee family, obviously our thoughts and prayers are with all of you right now. It is brutal to watch a teammate and a family that you're close with have to go through that. DJ Uyangalale was interviewed after the game by Kelsey Riggs and talked about Brian Rizzi was a guy he roomed with for three years. That family was his family and they all mourn right. that together. And so Brian Brzee, and I think this is also worth noting too, Brian Brzee didn't play in that game. So often in football, we talk about and lionize and mythologize players that go out after unspeakable tragedy and say football is their safe place and they want that to go be a respite and they want to go and try and play because that's what so-and-so would have wanted. He pumped the brakes and said, no, I can't do that. And there is so much valor in that. And there is so much to be celebrated in that and saying that is just now how I, not how I am going to grieve this moment. And that's not what me and my family need or can handle right now. And there is so much strength in acknowledging that and going about it that way that Brian Brzee deserves a lot of credit for. But the rose in this case, Brandon, you know, the love goes to Brian Brzee and that family. The rose here goes to Louisiana Tech first-year head coach Sonny Cumbie, who did not know, and Dabo Swinney confirmed this after, didn't have a relationship with Dabo before the game, did not have a relationship with Brian Brzee before the game, but the Louisiana Tech head coach came out as they were playing Clemson this weekend pregame, had the Ella Strong shirt on pregame, and then presented Dabo Sweeney with a letter that he had written to give to Brian Brzee, and then a whole stack of letters that the Louisiana Tech team had written to Brian Brzee trying to provide some semblance of comfort or at least love and well wishes during an unspeakably bad time. And Dabo just talked about how much that meant for him and to see that gesture from Sonny Cumbie and what it says about him as a man. So just a really touching moment, man. College football can be this hellish cesspool at times. We see all the bad stuff that goes along with it, but every once in a while when people just reach out and remember that it's human beings playing a dumbass game and moments like this shine through you remember that you can also do things as a part of a healing process and as part of being there for somebody that it's hard to replicate elsewhere because of the strength of the relationships in these locker rooms and and the bonds that you make there bravo to them bravo to them for even just making an attempt to ease the pain a bit for a player that's couldn't even make the game because it is just a game. So, yep. Thank it's, you for for uh, nope. shouting that out. Nope. And again, I know the segment's supposed to be light and fun. We'll get back to that, but wanted to make sure that that I, I think got the room and space that it deserved in that one. And so that's 
you know, off to the side as its own special acknowledgement of this week. Uh, Brandon, I release, I release you from the tension of a very serious moment about love and light and get us back to bullshit here about jokes here. You got a last rose to hand out here. I got a last rose to hand out here. Who do you want to give it out to? Cooper Rush, mm. will you accept this rose? Mm. Mike, the ginger Dallas quarterback start. Kellen Moore's left hand, right hand, whatever it is. Kellen Moore's actual muse. Whatever Dak Prescott is, listen, we got a quarterback battle in Dallas Cowboys, in, in Dallas, Texas, once Dak Prescott comes back. Because this is Cooper Rush's team, okay? 19 of 31, 235 yards, only sacked once, and this is the most important, zero interceptions. Zero interceptions. Now, for all of the backup quarterbacks that hit the streets, college and NFL this, this week, Cooper Rush just seemed like he was – in his element, didn't he? He just seemed like he was knowing what he was doing. He loved, He was like, okay, let me hit a bunch of guys with number 80 because I know they're definitely wide receivers for my team. Let me do that a bunch. And then I'll start spreading the ball around and get more confident with things. Like, I loved what I saw from that. And I love the fact that Mike McCarthy called out Kellen Moore because I did last podcast when Brandon was right. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to see Cooper Rush. In. And honestly, looking at their season, even if, even if, uh, if Dak Prescott is out for the next eight weeks – Mike, should I do the schedule thing? Yeah, you can. Giants do. next week. Yep. Commanders the week after that. Then the Rams. Then the Eagles. Then the Ca- uh, Lions. Then the Bears. Then the Packers. Then the Vikings. Mike, I think Cooper Rush at worst is going to go five, five out of two or five for two. You worst. think he's going to win five games in that stretch? If he's in there at quarterback, I sure as hell do. And I'm underselling it, Mike, because I just said at the beginning, they're going to go undefeated with Cooper. You think I was bullshitting? They're going to go undefeated with Cooper Rush at quarterback. It is worth noting that Jerry Jones and company keep trying to claim that this is a four-week injury for Dak Prescott. And I saw Jane Slater does a great job covering the Dallas Cowboys. They showed Dak Prescott out there. He's had his hand bandaged up and was gripping the football. He was holding that, and it got big cheers from the crowd to see him out there already able to hold that bitch. So he's getting them fired up off that one. But you're right, man. <laughs> Cooper Rush deserves a lot of credit in that game. And what you said there, too, the fact that he was only sacked once in this game when that defense and Lou Anor. Anarello, I believe I I mispronounced the last and I apologize. I'll get it right at some point. That defense for Cincinnati was as big a part of their playoff story last year as anything, and the fact that they were not able to get pressure True. on a beat up Dallas Cowboys offensive line also says a lot about where that team is at. So all great things to consider. Absolutely a deserving rose. Before I let you give your rose, I'm gonna say this right now: Cooper Rush and Tony Pollard, their package deal. They're gonna go somewhere and make somebody very happy together. I don't year. think Tony. I don't think Tony Pollard's getting out of the building. Cooper Rush might be going with. His, you think they're gonna let him go? I don't know, man. I mean, based on based on the money here, everyone keeps pointing to. They've got decisions to make with Ezekiel Elliott, and Tony Pollard has been mm. looking awful explosive and was doing an awfully good job in limited action. Excuse my. Excuse what I said. Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott are a package deal. You're not gonna get one without the other. Okay. Oh my God, Brandon. My final rose of the day. Notre Dame offensive coordinator Tommy Reese, will you accept this rose? <laughs> Give it up. Notre Dame gets their first win of the season. Marcus Freeman gets his first win as the Notre Dame football head coach at Damn. home against Cal in a game that gave me way more anxiety down the stretch than it had any right to. Drew Pine coming in as the backup quarterback for the injured Tyler Buckner. 
struggled out the gate, man. He was missing layups. They really tried to scheme him some very easy throws. Some of those RPOs where it's just you throwing a little dump off to the tight end. And he was nervous. And I felt for Drew Pine, man, because I saw a lot of... I saw a lot of me and Drew Pine when they showed pictures of him as a kid. He grew up a massive Notre Dame fan. He's from Connecticut. He had a Brady. He said he wears ten because of Brady Quinn, and all he wanted to be growing up was a Notre Dame football player. And he came in and was a backup, and finally got his moment to shine. And Brandon, I can remember being that kid going to Notre Dame, being a backup for my whole career until my senior year against Wake Forest, and then what it felt like getting ready for the starts down the rest of that season. And I had a couple of games where, especially, I played Stanford on the road, pissed down my leg, was dead dog awful in those games. And it's hard because you want to make sure that you're not letting everybody else down. But it's also been a frustrating start to the season for everyone involved. And God love our boy Tommy. Those booth cameras up there put offensive and defensive coordinators in a pickle. And Tommy was the meme of the weekend. MF and Drew Pine on the phone down on the field. Getting caught up in that one. Tommy's got to wake up. And listen... I'm sure Tommy in a private moment would want to have that one back because that's the thing nowadays in, in the world of recruiting. You don't always want out there, I would imagine. But knowing Tommy, knowing Tommy and the fiery competitor he is, I understand where it comes yeah. from. It has been especially uneasy for Tommy to start this season because so many people have been, I think, wrongly critical of him and overly critical of his role in what's going on with this offense. Like, this last game is the perfect example of that. But... Got yeah. the got the win there, is going to get to be a meme this weekend, and then is gonna, I think, get to do the most valuable thing, which is get back get back to work with Drew Pine, who I'm sure knows how much Tommy Reese, you know, in knows how much Tommy Reese cares about him. Tommy has been in those okay. shoes also of being the backup okay. quarterback having to come in at Notre Dame. So if anyone can help Drew Pine through what he dealt with at the beginning of that game, it's Tommy. Not only has he been in that in that seat being the backup quarterback, Mike. He's been in that seat getting MF'd by the head coach in a very public setting. A lot of that purple face Brian Kelly memory was Tom Tommy Reese conversations. Right. Now I, I did I'm glad you mentioned that at the very end because I think that's the most important thing to distinguish and point out. I don't I, I didn't think that Tommy would want that moment back because I know how much it came from a place of compassion care love like he actually went down there and woke him up like and it was one of those things like I, those offensive coordinators defense coordinators sometimes so far removed from their actual players and they only get there in halftime and they're just like you know like a dog running around and everyone just got home just like trying to touch and sniff and smell everybody all at the same time but i do think that it came from a place of love uh, the MFs that came from Marcus Freeman were more head coachy, but I, I I'm glad that it worked, Mike. Because guess who woke up? Drew Pine, and guess who who was excited for Drew Pine as much as Drew Pine was excited for Drew Pine? Tommy Reese. So I I I see what you're saying by that, but I'm glad to see that level of passion come through because I do think it helped wake. Uh, Drew Pine up and, and get us the win that we so well deserved against Cal. Drew uh, ended up 17 to 23 for all buck 50 and two touchdowns. So again, they ended up being more about the ground game for Notre Dame. They rushed for a buck 47. The offensive and defensive lines were the star of the show in this game. But sometimes you're right. Leadership is about knowing how everyone responds best and what they need. And sometimes guys need an arm around their shoulder, and sometimes guys need their face mask rattled metaphorically. And this was mm. definitely more of the latter. And it paid off for now. 
And that's what we've got. Everyone around there was frustrated. Everyone needed this moment. Everyone will be better off for it. So Tommy, God love you, man. Incredible meme moment there. I appreciate your commitment and your production and your, excuse me, contribution to meme culture on the internet. Um, There you go. Brandon, been a full day. Been a full day. Uh, by the way, an update at the end of this full day. Uh, we had the thick six picks that got given out on Friday this past week. Um, my three picks in okay. college football. Miami, uh, Hurricanes plus six on the road against Texas A&M did not pay out. South Carolina plus 25 against Georgia was a bad decision in hindsight. I don't know what I was thinking with that one. Was drunk off Shane Beamer and the Mayo Bowl from last year. Florida State, minus two and a half against Louisville. That one ended up going well. Jordan Travis and, Louisville, and uh, Florida State... They went 0-4 last year at for they lost to Louisville at home last year to go 0-4 for the first time since the 1970s in Tallahassee. And this year, a year later, 3-0 against that same Louisville team to cap off that third one. Great turnaround by Mike Norvell and that squad there. NFL bets, Colts first half, uh, minus three was a big time no there. The Titans and the Bills under 48 in play going into Monday Night Football tonight, Brandon. I think a lot of that's going to be about, I think the Bills, they're another double-digit favorite. I think they cover. I don't think this Titans offense has the juice right now. I think we saw Derrick Henry getting hit harder than usual, and this Bills defense seems up to the task. But I also think that Bill that uh, Titans D-line, good enough to maybe slow down the pace and keep the whole house from burning down here as far as the over. But my favorite bet of the weekend, because this went back to what I talked about, that gut belief in what we saw in Hard Knocks and what we have seen last year from the Lions. Lions minus one against Washington. Dan Campbell and the Lions race out to a lead and are able to hold the Washington Commanders off down the stretch. They had answers for everything. Amon Ross St. Brown was a fantasy maven and an absolute freak out there. And you mentioned Aiden Hutchinson, the rookie number two overall pick, had three sacks in the first half of this game. They got after that ass, Brandon, and I am proudly back on betting the Lions, who were, again, the favorite in a game for the first time in, I believe, 24 games where they had been the underdog leading up to that. So they liked the way that being the favorite felt, and they went out and responded in kind. So we are 2-3 and three so far on the weekend with one bet remaining in the Titans' bills under 48 going into tonight. But now, Brandon. Good job, Mike. Now, now that business is out of the way, though, there's even more important business to get to because I have been single dadding it around here when it comes to our favorite segment of the show here. I have been lost, but now I am found blind, but now I see. So, Brandon, do you mind telling people what time it is? Yes, Mike. And I'm ready. Why she... Have to go, I don't know, she wouldn't say I said something wrong, now I long for yesterday Yesterday Love was such an easy game to play Now this, that, and the third today I might fucking cry. <laughs> How 
dare you? Man, that's, that is how you make a triumphant return back to your seat of the throne of the head of this, that, and the third. And if you love that, which I'm sure you all did, because how could you not? Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Five-star rating, review. Tell Brandon how great that this, that, and the third was. And Brandon... Thank you, sir. Since you set us off on yes. such a good feel-good tone, why don't we start off with this? Is we're dishing out love to the Detroit Lions. Man Campbell and company, yeah. doers of the damn thing, those who can and will. Also, saw another player step up and embody that this weekend. Former offense Arkansas offensive lineman Dan Skipper had been around the NFL for six years heading into this game. He had been a guy who had never made a roster. He had been a practice squad player. As he said, he's probably signed 20 contracts that aren't worth the paper they're written on. He was also on Hard Knocks, as we often see the cuts are a part of that show that's resonated with so many people. He was one of the really powerful moments and memorable moments in the show where Dan Campbell talked with him about their decision to cut him in this one. He ended up getting re-signed to the practice squad, and this weekend... Went on to go and make a start. He played offensive guard for the first time and ended up going out there and playing in really well in a win against the Washington Commanders for this team. And so Dan Campbell sent him out first to the postgame press conference before anyone else to get to answer those questions and tell his story to the media. Brandon, this is exactly why when we talk about all the rah-rah stuff that normally people would shy away and say, you don't do this at the NFL level. This kind of stuff is high school shit. This isn't Ted Lasso. This is not how you go and coach grown men in a professional league. Why Dan Campbell has defined that because it's genuine. Because everyone around there seems to actually buy into it. Because the words match the results, which we always talk about around here. And then you get moments like this where when people go and do the things you ask of them, they're rewarded for it. That stuff matters in a locker room. If you practice and say, hey, next man up means something around here. If you preach that and then you go out and practice it, there's got to be a, hey, we're going to hold this up as what we believe this program can be. And Dan Campbell did that with this. And it certainly, hats off, I mean, my God, in this situation to what Dan Skipper was able to do. Because that's hard living, man. I got We got plenty of buddies that have lived. I mean, so much of the NFL is people seeing the guys that start day in and day out or make it to second contract. We got a lot of buddies who right. live life on the other side of that, who went around and moved their families time after time to try and hold on to practice squad gigs that are still good paying gigs, but they're practice mm-hmm. squad gigs that do not bring the certainty or job security that go along. And this guy's done it for six years without seeing any sort of real payoff to what he has done there. He's been practicing with no outlet for it. Finally got one and balled out. So great stuff for Dan Skipper. Amazing. And I love that it came through via Dan Campbell, you know, like a lot of the other NFL coaches are doing what was told to them or Parcell is always Parcells always said everyone, Dan Campbell is doing what he knows to be the right thing because he, he was he went through it. And it's a, that's a great point because that's a hard thing to do. We all, when we look around and start True. a job, I always said when I first started doing media, the worst thing I did was looked at people I enjoyed and tried too much to be them. And Dan Campbell was able to shed that so early and say, man, if they're going to kick me out of this place, they're going to kick me out for being me and doing things the way that I believe work. And so far they have. And so far this Lions team looks like one that's going to continue to make life an absolute living hell. Dan Campbell is going to treat every team like they are one ass cheek and three toes and try and beat the ever-loving shit out of them. Brandon, let's get to that, though. That is what went on in the WNBA yesterday. The Las Vegas Aces win their first WNBA title. They beat the Connecticut Sun 
three to one in that series in game four. Becky Hammond, the head coach of the Aces, we know the former Spurs assistant. This is her championship yep. debut. She was the highest paid coach in WNBA history. It was a monumental moment for that franchise and what they were able to go out there and accomplish. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fun to listen. I'll say this: if I was a real WNBA fan. I'd been a Vegas Aces fan like a long time ago, just because I like Asia Wilson, uh, her South Carolina through line connection with uh, um, Don Staley is something I always appreciated. And she's just like an actual baller. Now she didn't win uh, a finals MVP, right? But she is someone who's won a state championship. She's one who's won a national championship uh, with uh, South Carolina. WNBA championship now finally got that tacked on and then obviously she's won the gold so between like Kelsey Plum and like there's just a lot of people on that team that I like already so like I'm, I'm very happy for them and also this is huge news the first team for Las Vegas to win a championship from the professional sports team out of all these different uh, franchises starting with the Vegas it was the Aces that got it done first and this goes back to something I said in the podcast a while ago talking about the uh, Seattle sports team and what they deserve. And it was shame on me for not mentioning the Seattle Storm and the championship pedigree that they had displayed in that time when Seattle was looking for sports heroes. They've got them in the Storm. Oh, true. And you're absolutely right for what the Las Vegas Aces have done in a city that's now starting to latch on to pro sports in a meaningful and real way here. They got a place to look at now. You mentioned Chelsea Gray, who was an absolute madwoman the entire postseason run. But if you saw the WNBA trending on Twitter, chances are it was because of something Chelsea Gray had done somewhere along the way. You mentioned Kelsey Plum, who was balling out on the IG stories after in the celebration. I think I saw her eating the postgame meal and said, I'm too faded to taste this right now. It was the Colonel Sanders. (laughs) To quote the great Colonel Sanders, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. I'll say I became a Kelsey Plum fan during the – I was already kind of a fan, but during the playoffs, they uh, – Nikaias Duncan asked her a question about her setting picks, and she said, my family's a football family. I come from football. Like, I go out there on purpose and, and let somebody feel my body. I throw these picks with, with, with authority. So when as soon as I heard it, I was like, that's it. I was wondering what it was is about you, miss. That's it. You're football. You're from football. Thank you. I see you, and I appreciate I you. you. By the way, in making things self-interested about us here, we'd be remiss if we didn't deal out some Notre Dame love. Jackie Young, a part of this Aces team, 2022 WNBA yes. champion, 2020 Olympic gold medalist, and 2018 NCAA champion. Uh, she joins Ruth Riley as the only other Notre Dame player to secure the triple crown of women's, cali- women's wow. athletics at that level in that particular sport. So... Big ups to Jackie and I see Ruth. Yeah, ball. Yeah, I can say. By the way, Ruth Riley, whose poster was on my wall as a kid, absolute baller, Notre Dame goat, all timer. Love to saw hear. her at Chipotle back on campus when she was finishing up her MBA. Huge legend, uh, true to the game. Uh, Becky Hammond, by the way, as we mentioned, the first person in WNBA history to win her win a title in her first season as coach. Yes. So pretty cool moment for there. I know there was a lot of conversation at the beginning of the season about how her pay relative to the pay of the women in the W. I know there have been lots of strides made on that front. The last CBA that these women negotiated went a long way in that. Becky Hammond getting more pay is I think another step in the right direction. This is a sport with a lot of positive momentum. Ratings wise, what the turnout you saw for the Vegas Aces 
in their home arena, the amount mm-hmm. of fans packed out for there, a lot of really good momentum for the W coming off this 2022 season as these women continue to ball. But Brandon, let's get to the third. Uh, yes. Because third is a little bit close to home. This weekend, we almost had a situation that could have been a low light turned back into a highlight. My father, Mike Golick Sr., friend of the podcast, obviously two-time Radio Hall of Famer, National Wrestling Hall of Famer as well that I made sure I found when I went back to Oklahoma to cover the Oklahoma State game. Yeah, the wow, National Wrestling really? Hall of Fame. The National Wrestling Hall of Fame is right next to the stadium, uh, Boone Pickens Stadium, where Oklahoma State plays in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I went over there, and they have an award they give out to a distinguished American every year. And my dad, who was a collegiate wrestler at Notre Dame, along with my Uncle Bob, was always someone near and dear to the wrestling community. So, two-time Radio Hall of Famer, one-time Wrestling Hall of Famer as a distinguished American, which he treasures, had his little jersey in there, had the book that him and Greeny co-authored, had a bobblehead in there in the case for him here, out here balling. They didn't throw his stuff away. Dad's got the resume. You all know him. What you might not know is, as much as my dad loves everything he did sports-wise, his family, his career in sports talk radio, all the above, there may be nothing my dad loves more than the golf cart that he has out by Notre Dame's campus here. My folks live out in South Bend, and if you have seen my parents, you have probably seen them riding around. My dad does a segment with Allison Hayes over at ABC 57 where they ride around in the golf cart would preview Notre Dame football. Like, it's gotten some acclaim. And this last weekend, as Notre Dame was hosting Cal, my dad was over at the stadium, and when he came back out, the golf cart was no more. The golf cart had been stolen. And... Brandon, I have watched this man erupt on cable providers as his televisions have failed to work. I have heard him call and read the riot act to plumbers and the people that are in charge of the systems inside his home. I have never seen the man so distraught as when I heard that this thing was missing. And we set out the all points bulletin, Brandon. We tried to rally the troops every which way we could on game day in South Bend to get eyes on this because this had a chance, a very real chance of being my dad's joker turn moment if this went wrong. This had a very real chance of oh being the moment gosh. that broke him and sent him down like the Liam Neeson path, the um, Gerard Butler from uh, Law Abiding oh, Citizen. Man. Any one of those could have been him. Yes. I, I Honestly, I was going to say, if you are lucky, you've t- had a ride in this golf cart. Like this is a coveted, like it's the holy grail of golf carts uh, around Notre Dame, which is God country. And I understand blasphemy. Like I know what I'm saying here. So... Whoever it was, Mr. Sticky Fingers and Sticky Foot to, to pull off with the Gullick, with the Gullick golf cart. And I think you guys, we had, look, I said we, didn't we have the winners of the Subpar Classic there this weekend? I'm sure he was ca- oh, carting yeah. around some uh, as, some uh, distinguished guests. We had a, so, you're right. We had esteemed guests in town, people that were generous enough to help out uh, our family's foundation and give back to the South Bend community that were in town taking in the Cal game. And we had that moment. It lasted all of about 45 minutes. And dad was thankfully reunited with the golf cart. Brandon, I tweeted it out right. at Mike Golick Jr. on Twitter. I firmly believe in that moment, my dad was happier than he was when he gave my sister away down the aisle at her wedding. I had not seen joy like that in quite some time. There are very few things in this world that I think he cares about to that level. And being able to comfortably drive not only him, 
But his two pugs, Hank and Harry, and their bulldog, Ted, over to campus, they want to make sure that he can do that still, and thankfully he can. So shout out to Dad, shout out to Cooler Heads Prevailing, and honestly, shout out to whoever stole that for either deciding it was just a joyride or seeing that the alarms had been sounded and making the business decision that they did not want the distinction of being hunted by my dad for sport for the rest of their days on Earth. (laughs) For sport. Mike, I can't imagine how long that 45 minutes was for him. Brandon, I almost had to step away from my job. I was getting ready to call that Washington game, and I was walking into the stadium, and I got that, and I was almost like, guys, I have to go. This is a situation, and this could break my father in ways that have repercussions for the world. For the world. Sloan, you got this? Call the first quarter, Sloan. God be with you. Um, God be with anyone who made it this far in the podcast. God be with the thief that decided to not make sure that that was a life-changing decision. Uh, congrats to Dad on getting his cart, uh, golf cart back. If you did make it this far and you liked what you heard, and if you're the thief and you want to confess and maybe come on and do an interview about why you did what you did, Download, subscribe, rate, like review that. Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Honestly, Brandon, what I didn't account for was I was hoping that my dad just had an all-time old man moment that I get to hold over his head where he parked it in a different spot and then oh, went back man. and didn't find it after. I was really Oof. rooting for that, and it didn't come, which is okay because, again, cooler heads prevailed, and he still has the golf cart. It's too early for that, Mike. I, I would I would have been concerned. Talking about phone calls, I would have called Sarge or some other people in South Bend and be like, hey, uh, we need to look out for Mr. G right now. <laughs> like I said, everybody comes out winning on this one. Download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Tell us how much you enjoyed it. Head on over to the DraftKings YouTube page and check out the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. channel. Brandon's doing a great job getting the videos up of all of our great guests so you can see what their faces look like as we go along. Smash the thumbs up button on them. Let DraftKings know that we're doing a good job for you. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much. Enjoy the Monday Night Football doubleheader tonight. We got Eagles and Vikings who were 4-5 and five in my power rankings this last week, getting ready to duke it out. We'll see how that goes. And then we've got the Bills and the Titans that we talked about here. Friend of the podcast, Dan Orlovsky, is going to be on the call for the early slate of games in Buffalo, the Tennessee and Buffalo game. So good luck to Dan. Good luck to that crew. Looking forward to it. Everybody have fun. We'll talk to you tomorrow.